Hello and welcome to another episode of the Big Nickel IDP podcast. I am your host, John Macri, PFF's IDP specialist and data analyst. This episode, we're looking to help you good folks that are drafting right now by finding some diamonds in the rough, some hidden gems, some underappreciated assets, some secret beauties. We we are, of course, talking about some of the best values and sleepers in IDP draft So let's get it. I am very excited for this episode because I have the distinct pleasure of welcoming on a first-time guest to the show, someone who has been a longtime superstar in the IDP multiverse, as well as on the music scene as a professional drummer. From FantasyPoints.com, he is truly a man of many talents, Mr. Justin Barnes. Justin, how are you? Good, sir. John, I'm doing great, man. I've, I've been looking forward to this for a while. You and I have been Twitter buddies for for quite a long time, and uh, we've, you know, both thought about trying to eventually get on a podcast at some point. Uh, and so here we are, it's finally happening. And, uh, it's actually my favorite, one of my favorite subjects is this, uh, you know, concept of finding hidden values, hidden gems. I think the IDP landscape is one of the last bastions of, of actually finding sleepers, uh, which makes it all the more fun to play. Cause we really do get to, you know, dig up some players. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm with you 100%. And and yeah, I, I like you said, we, we've been trying to get this going here. And I'm glad we did. And it's one of the nice things about Twitter, right, is being able to connect with people uh, that, uh, you know, peers in the same in the same uh, kind of fantasy space and, and connect that way. And it's, you know, it's not all negative stuff going on in the Twitter world. So the, this was a positive to come from that. Yes, sir. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, you know, um, at this point in the year, it's football is in the air. Training camp has started. The boys are buzzing. Every single player is exceeding expectations uh, and in line to dominate the NFL season. Uh, you love to see it. But uh, how much of this uh, like training camp hype do you pay attention to, and and how much of it do you just not care about? Well, this is this is a a, a great subject and something I've been <laughs> I, I've been. Uh, chewing on for the last probably four or five years, which is how to um, navigate this time of year, really how to navigate, I think, post-draft NFL uh, and and, and uh, fantasy football, because immediately all these rookies get overhyped um, and, you know, they're super talented and, and, and most of them or a lot of them are going to turn out to be, you know, solid players, but uh there's the there's the overhyping of all the uh, of all the rookies, which some of the stuff we'll probably talk about today. And then, yeah, I mean, everyone is in the best shape of their life. Uh, <laughs> everyone's going to have, you know, every every time I read about a defender talking about a new defensive coordinator, somehow this defensive coordinator always is going to make things better. And all this, I, this is so much of a better defense for us. And, you know, and so at some point. You know, I, I was I would constantly be moving my rankings around and rewriting things. And then uh, so this is the second year in a row I've done it where I've basically tried, you know, I, I zero in on the draft. And then the second the draft's over and I've kind of, you know, gotten my head around the rookies and their placement, 
I try to go deaf until literally right about now, just so I can try to avoid all of that stuff. All these beat writers, you know, <laughs> well, actually this, you know, uh, here's a great example. Last year, uh, you know, uh, the, the Arizona Cardinals drafted their second uh, high-end uh, linebacker in, in, in as many drafts. And uh, Jordan Hicks was was on the outs, and he, you know, he, he was going to get traded. He was going to get cut, all this sort of stuff, you know. And so everybody's all in on Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins, and, and most people didn't even draft Jordan Hicks. And then game one happens, and he and – he, basically plays almost every snap of the entire season. I'm just like, my head says, if I didn't hear that, I would have assumed that Hicks would have been part of the process. You know, right. it's so tough to get through. I don't know how you get through it. You, you, you have to do a lot of digging too. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It's a weird time of year because so many of the reports coming out are just positive stuff, right? It's uh, everybody's progressing. There's no such thing as regression uh, at this point of the year. And, uh, you know, we have to kind of take everything with with a grain of salt, basically, right? I, you have to have this filter of, you know, how much to actually kind of pay attention to and, and how much of it is is just nonsense. And um, unfortunately, a lot of it does end up being nonsense, like you said, with uh, with the Cardinals linebackers last year. And, and uh, once again, the Cardinals have uh, have noise going on with their linebackers again. They're there's, there's reports of um, Isaiah Simmons being uh, like lining up at safety and, and in the slot and uh, talk about Zayvon Collins coming off the field a little bit more and, and a reliance on somebody like Nick Vigil, which is bizarre. But uh, there's Arizona has made the last couple off seasons exciting. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm still trying to. Uh decipher all that uh yeah like part of it is just trying to get through the, the noise of it um uh so i'm trying to 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 just dig out a few pieces to hang on to one of them is uh isaiah simmons is is working on playing the star role uh and to me you know so i'm looking for i hear a report and then does this make any sense at all and to me simmons playing the star role makes a lot of sense he's he's somebody that when they drafted him we thought this is somebody who can certainly be a safety um played in that 335 defense in college uh we expected him to move around quite quite a bit um and uh you know they originally said they just want him learning middle linebacker at first and of course he was drafted during the pandemic so he didn't have a real preseason so uh but now they're they're going to try i believe and and use him like a like the player that he is, which is this multi-dimensional player, which is awesome. Except if you want to try to get consistent tackle numbers out of your linebacker, which, you know, we kind of <laughs> want to do. And if he, you know, if he's going to be all over the field, then, you know, I'm, I am assuming he's going to drive me crazy because just depending on the offensive formations, he's going to, he's going to be a ghost one game and then 12 tackles the next. And, um, how are you feeling about Simmons? I mean, do you buy that he'll be kind of that, that star position? It, it certainly seems like it just from everything that they've been saying. Um, I, you know, I, 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 again, I, I've been kind of thinking that, you know, maybe this is a way for them to kind of work on his coverage skills and, and things like that. Cause he did struggle with that from the linebacker position in his first couple of seasons. So, um, 
I was thinking maybe, you know, that, that that could be part of the reasoning behind it. And then, you know, they put him back into that linebacker role. And, and it, it, I, I'm definitely a little bit worried about it. That's for sure. I, I, I don't think it's uh, ideal for, for IDP. And, and it's, it's pretty much scared me off of Isaiah Simmons at this point. I mean, he already wasn't great last year as an IDP. Um, he played a lot, but he, he was fairly inefficient and and some of that had to do with him lining up on the edge and and as a pass rusher and things like that but he wasn't particularly good as a pass rusher either and and didn't put up those kinds of sack numbers that we'd like to see from from guys that are playing a ton there so I'm pretty much off of Isaiah Simmons at this point until I see him actually lining up in like a orthodox linebacker role and and racking up tackles because at this point I, I don't think it's worth the cost to uh to invest in him well if you're if you're scared off of isaiah simmons then this next bit of news which i'm sure you're uh, familiar with but this is for our listeners uh who might not have heard uh the uh, word on the street is that uh jalen thompson their safety will be wearing the green dot and again if we're mm-hmm. looking for bits of news that seem to make sense well if if there doesn't seem to be a clear, uh, um, you know, like solid plan for these linebackers, it does make sense and, and to have the safe have one of the safeties who they know is going to be an every down player be the play caller. And obviously, this is nothing new. And we, the last couple of years, we've seen several safeties uh, wear that green dot. Uh, but so if we think that Simmons is going to be moving all around, then your next thought would be, okay, well then, then maybe it's going to be Zaven Collins season. And maybe he's going to be that anchor linebacker in the middle of the field. But if he hasn't earned the right to call the plays and obviously he, you know, he, he struggled last year as almost all rookies do. Um, but the, the little things I've heard coming out of the, out of training camp on him is that he looks great. Obviously he's in the best shape of his life. Duh. Um, but from Vance Joseph, it doesn't necessarily, I'm not hearing a lot of confidence in Zaven Collins, just a lot of, I hope he's going to do this and he hopefully will, will do this. So I'm worried that Collins is also uh, useless for me uh, based on the fact that I can't guarantee he's going to be out there for 60% of the snaps. Yeah, I, you're right. It is. It's kind of terrifying because it was shaping up like once Jordan Hicks left that I thought for sure it would be, you know, Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons. And now that we're getting closer to the season, it's like, they're doing it again. They're, they're pulling the rug out from under us and, and they're, you know, they're giving us the warning signs. So we just kind of have to, to pay attention to that. So yeah, Zayvon Collins is another one. I think I got to probably push down my rankings at this point, um, you know, until, until we see it. So um there's plenty of linebackers out there to take shots on it. it. You know, when you start to see these kind of red flags in camp and, and knowing the Cardinals now history of kind of messing with things a little bit, um, it, it, it's, it's enough to scare you off. And I, I think, uh, I think there's probably better options elsewhere around those, the, that range where you'd be drafting Saban Collins. Yeah. And I, I don't even necessarily want to open up the Nick, vigil can of worms but uh you know it it, it, it's scary to think of how many times there's been a um uh serviceable but literally only serviceable linebacker lead the league in tackles (laughs) and please don't let that be nick vigil this year (laughs) 
Oh man, it it very well could be if uh, if Arizona gives him his chance. That it, it's bizarre to think that. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about Nick Vigil because he's on the list here. But it's it's so weird to think that uh, you know that that it would be him of all people that would outplay two first round linebackers into that uh, starting role in Arizona. So, um, but yeah, there. I you know for camp, there's there's definitely it's one of those things, some level of information to pay attention to. And, and some of that information factors into uh, at least one of this episode subjects, like we said with Nick Vigil and maybe a couple more, but there, there's a lot of noise to fade from camp as well. Like you said, the best shape of your life uh, season and, and uh, um, players thigh size and, and things like that. It's all, uh, you know, it's just noise that we don't have to, uh, overcommit to or, or or invest too highly and so um but yeah that you know it for there are people that buy into it and these players get overdrafted but that's also what creates some of the values and, and sleepers that uh that we're able to talk about today so um we could definitely get into the list here and uh just to to let the the listeners know kind of the way that we've um kind of sussed out which players are considered values or even potential sleepers in drafts it's not necessarily by pulling like an adp list because as many of us are aware uh idp adp is an absolute gong show from whichever site you try to pull it from uh and it's pretty much completely unreliable so we 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 get a feel of this by doing our own research and participating in like endless drafts all off season long so uh while also keeping a note on which players often fall further than they probably deserve and um I think we each have a couple players at each IDP position that we think have the potential to outperform their perceived value in drafts based on uh, discrepancies from where we've seen them drafted and, and how we have them ranked. So hopefully by highlighting a few of these IDPs, we can help people take advantage of those value gaps and win some fantasy leagues in 2022. So Let's kick things off with one of your guys here from the Dallas Cowboys. We'll start at the uh, edge position. Uh, tell me about Demarcus Lawrence. Well, one of the things that um, I, th- I think is present in both of our lists here are going to be, you know, what we what we perceive as values going to um, probably range wildly. So some of the ones I, I picked in uh, Demarcus Lawrence is one of them. Uh, this is a player who you're not going to find late in a draft, uh, but there's still value there at, at some of the higher uh, positions. So, you know, and some of the players I'm, I am I picked, I'm just a little bit higher on and others I'm, you know, it's a pretty big, big spread. So for Demarcus Lawrence, I'm not crazy high on him, like top five or even top 10 edge rusher, but I think too many people are passing him up for guys like Greg Rousseau and Marcus Davenport and the like. Uh, Lawrence had two dominant seasons when he was basically the only legitimate pass rusher on the team in 2017 and 2018. And then the next couple of years, he started getting help. Uh, They got Everson Griffin, Alden Smith had that kind of rebound year. And during those seasons, when they had these extra pass rushers, Lawrence's snaps backed off by about you know 100 snaps basically he went from being like a 70 percent usage to down to about a 60 percent usage um and this you know ticked off his uh his value a little bit he went from being a you know 60 tackle guy and double digit sack guy to you know down to around 50 tackles and you know more like six to eight sacks and 
then he got hurt. So I want to talk about his injury or, or yeah, basically his injury history last year. And then what I see will be different from him this year. First of all, remember that although he missed 10 games last year, he only played seven games last year. His injury came at the beginning of the season. So he actually, you know, so he has been healthy for basically for half of last year. And then obviously he's coming into camp healthy. So he's not one of these ones that blew out his ACL partway through the season and might have a slow start. I think he's going to gonna kind of come on strong. Um, the seven games that he did play, uh, he had three sacks and 21 tackles. If you average that out over a full uh, season, that's about seven to eight sacks and about 50 tackles, which is a, a, pr- a pretty solid number number. And he's just turning 30. So he's still, I think, playing at an elite level. Now he's back to having very little help on the edge. They've got Dante Fowler, which don't get me started. Uh, they also have, uh, of course, Micah Parsons. You know, Micah Parsons will help out on the edge, of course. But my, but my main point here is that Lawrence's snap should go back up into that 70-ish percent range with fewer options to rotate in. Uh, still has a high-level talent. So I see him more in that seven to nine sack range and 55 to 60 tackles. And to me, that's going to hold up week in and week out better than some of these edges who don't have that tackle floor. And those extra couple of sacks that they will probably get aren't going to be enough to overcome the consistency of a high tackle floor player that he's proven he can be when given enough snaps. And a bedrock of my drafting strategy has been and remains this. I treat defensive linemen and edges like running backs. You want those handful of ones who remain on the field all the time. You'll get more chances for those home runs, but even when they don't come, you'll get enough yardage to basically give you a fighting chance on your team. Uh, And so for me, I'm seeing Lawrence going as a DL2, and I'm excited to pick him up as a DL2. No, I love that. I, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you. I love Demarcus Lawrence as well, and and I, I I don't think people realize how good he still is, even at 30 years old, right? Like you said, um, I, we talked about him last week uh, or last episode with with Trip, but he he should you know as a bounce back candidate we talked about him but he should absolutely be considered a value as well we touched on him uh going uh outside the top 20 edge defenders in in a lot of the drafts that we've been in so um as long as he's healthy which he seems he is there's there's absolutely zero reason to let him fall that far and and like you said the the injury season last year i think pushed him down is pushing him down boards this year um, because he only played like 180 pass rush snaps or something like that but when he was on the field um, he he was still elite I mean he had an 81.3 pass rush grade which is great 18.89 percent win rate which is also great and an elite 15 percent pressure rate so all the signs are there that Demarcus Lawrence is still very very good at 30 years old and um, there's like I said zero reason that he should be falling uh, outside of the top 20 edge defenders um, should still be taken highly and like you said that tackle floor is there for him as well um all right, let's go on to uh, my guy on the list here uh, at the edge position. I have Danico Autry of the Tennessee Titans. So for Autry, for me, he kind of feels like this often forgotten player. Um, he's kind of like, uh, I, I remember Stefan Tuitt 
Stefan to it was was somebody that would get forgotten in drafts a lot uh, the last couple of years and you know it did work out last year he got hurt and now he's retired but that that kind of feels like Danico Autry a little bit here and that the Titans have really no problem working their defensive linemen to the bone we've we've seen them uh leave Harold Landry on the field for a thousand snaps in a season um Autry played a ton as well last year because he can play inside and out which, which helps keep him on the field which is really nice and um bud dupree is coming back as well supposedly healthy uh, i'm not totally sold on bud dupree as as an elite edge rusher or anything like that but even if bud dupree is fully healthy i don't think he's necessarily going to eat too much into Danico autry's snaps all that much either um you know looking at last year when when both players uh autry dupree uh, and even harold landry were active autry actually outsnapped bud dupree on half the games that they were in together uh the other half of the games they were all pretty close to playing the same amount of snaps so there's not a major concern there like i said because he can play inside as well and aside from the volume alone for autry which i think helps um create a nice floor for him he was actually a pretty strong pass rusher last season earning some very good pass rush marks including uh 61 total pressures uh which was a rate of 13 percent which is a top 25 mark for edge rushers 15.99 percent win rate also in the top 25 didn't have like this absurdly high pressure to sack ratio or anything like that which is a good sign it shows he's not going to regress or anything like that um or is not due for regression, I should say. And then, you know, he's he's 32 years old. He's he's an older player. He's not the most attractive piece for players, uh, IDP players to draft. And uh, but this is a redraft league, right? We're talking about the 2022 season alone, um, where we're focusing on grabbing guys who only need to be good for one season. Autry still has the the opportunity and the skill set uh, to be really strong depth piece. Uh, or bye week or injury fill in something like that during those later rounds of draft when when everyone else is pretty much just throwing darts anyways you can take a nice shot uh, at somebody solid like like Danico Autry yeah I mean he had he had nine sacks last year um you know if we use pro football references uh, uh, uh definition of a sack uh nine sacks um he had nine sacks uh, three years ago and uh, the year before he had seven and a half sacks, but he only played 13 games. So this is somebody who borders on double digit sacks the last three seasons, uh, the last three full seasons for him. Uh, and that's, that's not, that's nothing a season. I mean, obviously he, he's not, he's not, doesn't have a huge tackle floor. He's coming in around 30 tackles per season, but in a, yeah, in a big play scoring system. Oh man, I totally agree. And, and, I'm telling you now that the number and John, I, I know you know this too. The number of drafts I've done this season where Autry is still just sitting there on the waiver wires is, is, is pretty criminal. Yeah. It's yeah, it's easy. I'll, there's a lot of drafts where he'll go undrafted uh, even still. So it, it you know, it, it's, it's always surprising too, because a lot of people draft based on last year's stats, right? So they might see nine sacks and be like, oh, this guy was actually pretty good. But I, there's something about Danico Autry. There's like a blind spot for him and he just he gets passed by. I think maybe the age or, or whatever it is, but um, definitely a value to me. And I, I've been scooping him up late wherever I can. So uh, my next edge rusher is going to be uh, down in Miami. That's Emmanuel Agba. Uh, Agba has been with Miami for two years, and basically both years he nailed almost the exact same stat line. 
nine sacks, about basically 41 tackles each year, similar tackles for loss and everything else. Um, and I've done this is not to the level of Danico Autry, but I've done I've done drafts where Ogba didn't make uh, didn't make the cut where he's, he's gone undrafted. And I've seen him ranked in the 40s. Uh, but this is somebody who I think is much more of a DL2 minus dl3 plus than the dl4 or dl5 that i've seen people view him as i think uh jalen phillips on the other side and Mel- melvin ingram uh i don't think either of these players are, are going to uh be out there enough to keep ogba off the field much uh you know i think what he he does lack um that high tackle floor kind of what we were talking about with with um uh with demarcus lawrence but uh, what he does make up in that tackle floor, uh, he actually makes up in passes defense. He had 12 passes defense last year, which is, of course, probably impossible to duplicate. But he's had at least five uh, passes defense in four of the last season. He's had six. He's had eight passes defense. So you can get a, l- a little boost there, particularly in, in leagues where, where you get extra juice for, for passes defense. For me, I'd be fine with him as a, as a DL2, uh, and I'm thrilled to have him a, as a DL3. This is a guy who should be pushing for double-digit sacks again, and in that 40-ish tackle range, and maybe if he gets a little lucky, he gets up to that 50 range. But I, I think he's more in the more like a DL in the range of like 25 to 30, not into the late 40s as I've seen him. So if you're if you're you've already have your first two defensive linemen and you're looking for 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 bench help, I think Agba is the first guy on my list I want to grab. Nice. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. And I think you can, you can easily get him as your, your DL three, just the way that drafts have been going and, and people going after younger players like Jalen Phillips, uh, for example, who I think, I think, you, you know, you touched on it, him and uh, Jalen Phillips and Melvin Ingram. I think there's a decent chance that those two might in, eat into each other's snaps more so than, than Emmanuel Ogba. And uh, Ogba was, he was, you know, he was solid last year, his nine sacks, whatever it was nine and a half there they weren't really a fluke. I mean, he, he finished, I, I put together like a, a sack production versus expected uh, model. And, and he finished spot on in terms of sack production versus expected. And he was a workhorse edge for a team that really desperately needed the help, but he played like over 500 pass rush snaps, uh, which is pretty impressive, but all his pass rush, pass rush metrics were uh, uh, average to above average, which is good, which is what we, at least want from a guy who is going to play that much because it'll still lead to sack production. And um, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, he's being overlooked still. And and like I said, probably because Phillips is that more young and attractive piece that people want to hit on, but Agba, the much better value for sure. So we'll go on to one more edge rusher here. And I went with uh, Preston Smith of the Green Bay Packers. So this is another guy coming off a strong year, 62 pressures, nine sacks. But again, this might be another case of uh, an older player getting overlooked because of hype around uh, the younger player, which in this case would be Rashawn Gary. Um, everybody's very excited about Rashawn Gary after his breakout year and and, and all the, the noise going on in camp about how excellent he's been. Um, but Preston Smith is a great pass rusher in his own right, um, along with Rashawn Gary. And, you know, Zadarius Smith it, it missed last year, so Smith... Uh, Preston Smith that is got a got a bigger chance and as well as Gary and now Zadarius Smith is in Minnesota so um, that opportunity is still there and Preston Smith uh, was I think he pushing 
a top 15 edge season at top 20 for sure. Uh, he had 18.1% win rate, 14.8 pressure rate. Um, both of those 15th uh, for the, for his position. Uh, he had a top 10 pressure total and a 75.1 pass rush, pass rush grade. I, I, Based on those numbers, I think there's an argument that he's a top 20 edge rusher in the league still. Um, he's not being drafted anywhere close to that range, though. I often easily find him outside the top 30 players at his position. Um, I know I have him in the mid-20s right now, but even then, I you know I might be able to push him up because I think I, you could easily get him at where I have him, I think 26 or something like that. Um, and I think based on just the volume of snaps alone, uh, he'll be able to consistently produce IDP relevant numbers. And then you factor in some of those uh, promising pass rush metrics. There's there's decent weekly upside with him that could potentially uh, win IDP managers their weeks. Yeah, I mean he's he's posted at least eight sacks in 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 four seasons, uh, and he's only a couple of seasons removed from that twelve sack season he had in in two thousand nineteen. He had nine last year. Uh, you know he's he's in that like forty to fifty uh, tackle range. So um, you know it'd be uh, similar to Agba. We'd like to see that tick up just a little bit. But you know you're not drafting. You don't have to draft Preston Smith. Uh, as, as your, as your edge one, or, or maybe even your edge two. Yeah. So imagine having somebody like that, uh, on your bench, um, you know, it would, that, that'd be pretty impressive because he's, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, this is his age 30 season and, you know, uh, nowadays pass rushers, you know, their legs are getting saved and, um, uh, they're lasting, you know, well into their, you know, 30s you, you know there's guys 32 33 34 still uh playing well so i i don't see the the cliff coming for preston smith just yet so and yeah like you said this is redraft so we'll worry about next year next year for now he's certainly being uh, uh poorly drafted at this stage absolutely for sure let's uh let's go on to the interior of the defensive line who do you have uh as a value there uh, well, I've got uh, Jonathan Allen. Uh, Allen is fresh on my mind because I just wrapped up an IDP experts draft where I uh, I sadly had to uh, ha- have the commissioner pick for me some, and I got auto drafted some because uh, <laughs> uh, I was my, my as as John said, my other job is is being a musician, and I was literally trying to play drums in a sound check and draft on my phone at the same time. Which, by the <laughs> way, do not recommend that. Uh, but I digress. So after the draft was over, I went back to see like who would still be on the waiver wires. And these are some, you know, these are, these are some sharp ID, IDP managers. Um, and, uh, I found Alan on the, on the waiver wire. And Alan had nine sacks last year. He had 62 tackles last season. And in fact, he's had 60 tackles or more in four straight seasons. Uh, now, granted, he does play in Washington, and their home stat crew is notorious for <laughs> for for splitting up uh, uh, tackles into into assists. And last year was a perfect example of that he had sixty two tackles, and they were split perfectly evenly thirty one solos, thirty one assists. Uh, but still, that that's a hell of a tackle floor. Uh, and considering that he's got a five to ten sack range, to me, that's too good to leave on the waiver wire. I think he's a DT one in tackle heavy leagues for sure. Now, big play leagues get a little trickier because although he does offer that tackle floor and he has, he definitely has some sack production, you know, you know, I think six to eight sacks this season would, would, would be about right for him. 
he literally offers nothing else. He's had one career pass defense and two career forced fumbles. So in big play heavy leagues, I could see why you might want to back off of Allen a little bit, but I'm not flushing away those 60 tackles. Yeah, no, I I mean to find Jonathan Allen on the waiver wire is uh, is a pretty nice surprise I would say because I actually think you know even with the tackle uh, like his tackling ability I think he's one of the elite interior pass rushers really um, you know we've kind of been spoiled by what Aaron Donald is he's so, <laughs> you know he's so good from the inside uh, com- in comparison to his peers the guy's just like on another galaxy basically but I think Allen deserves to be in that conversation with guys like Cam Hayward DeForest Buckner Chris Jones um, you know er- every time with 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 how well he rushes the passer alone so uh, you look at no at, at interior defenders and no interior defender not named Aaron Donald had a higher uh, expected so, sack total last season than than Allen um, at with 8.3. He hit that nine mark um, and it's because he had an elite pass rush grade. He had a 90.9 pass rush grade, elite win rate at 20 percent, elite pressure rate at 14.57 percent. That was even higher than uh, Aaron Donald. Uh, but you know, Aaron Donald plays a ton too. So, um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure actually Joey the Tooth and I talked about Jonathan Allen as a value last year, uh, and I agree. Once again, this season the guy is just so good and and somehow gets overlooked in those even in dt required leagues but i'd be very happy with him uh as my dt one if i had the chance you you'd mentioned this with Danico autry and i'm going to bring it up with with jonathan allen um <clears throat> and we'll see this a lot with linebackers too you think about the washington defensive line and you think okay chase young montez sweat like Okay, so you what you don't want to do, at least in your head, you can you can trick yourself into thinking like, well, I don't want those like other guys that are in the middle because I'm right. sure Chase Young and Montez Sweat are 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 gonna get it done, and that's what's happening to Danico Autry. I mean, you've got Jeffrey Simmons there, you know, uh, you've had a couple of good uh, uh, outside linebackers playing for Tennessee, and some of these names just get swallowed up, and you can trick yourself into thinking that it, this is a second or third tier player because. They are on a, a, a defense with these monsters. I mean, uh, it used to happen all the time uh, with Luke Keekley. Why am I blanking on the linebacker who played with Luke Keekley for his entire career? Oh, Thomas Luke. Davis. Yes, right. Oh, <laughs> Thomas Davis was my favorite linebacker to draft because no one knew he existed for years. And he would put up 130 tackles a season. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, this is part of how you find value is 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 looking at some of these players who 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 are maybe being overshadowed by us, uh, you know, and they might not even be an actual superstar. They just might be a person whose name, like Chase Young, has a lot of marquee value, and he's still not quite there. Right. Yeah. No. A hundred percent. That it's so funny. It's you know, it still happens today, right? Like that. We all kind of fall in love with these younger, more exciting players, but there's so much value that that falls down the draft boards. And and like you said, especially in IDP, um, because there, there's not enough people kind of talking about it, right? And not enough people paying attention to the things that are important. Um, and that that's how we end up with uh, some very good players late in drafts. So hopefully people will listen to this and, and find those players as well. But uh, <laughs> let's do uh, let's do another interior defender here. And, and not to turn this into like the Pumping Packers podcast or anything like 
like that, even though I'm sure uh, <laughs> Kyle Bellafield would love that. But uh, I'm going with Kenny Clark of the Packers. Um, I, he's another one that I see. I keep seeing fall too far in DT required leagues. Um, you know, people are taking the likes of like Chris Warmly and Jordan Davis and Jerry Tillery over someone who is a legitimately good interior pass rusher like Clark. And, you know, you look at somebody like I said, Chris Warmly, for example, one of the biggest overachievers from the defensive tackle position last season with his seven sacks. And it's, it definitely wasn't because he was good. Uh, you know, he played a ton and he benefited from those around him. Otherwise the guy likely shouldn't have even come close to that number. And then he got uh, Larry Okunjobi signed with the Steelers. So he's going to eat into a bulk of those snaps next to Cam Hayward. So that, that'll significantly hurt Chris Wormley's um, playing time and opportunities. Cause I, in my opinion, he's not good enough to be an NFL starter, but um, anyways, en- enough about Chris Wormley. That's just like a little bonus uh, overvalued name over there. Um, but uh, Clark just had four sacks in 2021. I understand it's not a high number, but all of his underlying pass rush numbers point to him still being among the best interior rushers in football. 64 total pressures last year, which was fourth among defensive interior players. He had a 12.83% pressure rate, which is seventh, 78.1 pass rush grade, which was eighth, and a 16.2% win rate, also eighth. All of those in the top 10. Doesn't necessarily put up these great tackle numbers, which could push him down boards a bit, but you know, his talent as a pass rusher alone puts him in the conversation for top 10 uh, in leagues for for uh, DTs and, and big play leagues, especially. I think Clark needs to kind of remain in that top 10 DT conversation, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, you know, I almost started off this whole podcast by saying I had a bone to pick with you because you sent me your list and I was so angry about Kenny Clark <laughs> being on your list. Uh, man, I, I'm I I agree 100 with you on 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 Kenny Clark here. First of all, um, uh, you know, for for this DT position, you, you know, obviously you've got Aaron Donald and you've got you know Cam Hayward and some of these guys, uh, and yes, they should they should come off the board first. But um, what happens once you get past those first, you know, five or so is, I mean, it's like the wild, wild west. People lose their minds picking random <laughs> defensive tackles. And, and Kenny Clark is at the top of, of, of my list for this. This is a guy that um, he's basically, he, he's been a very consistent producer for fantasy. We're going to remove, uh, we'll pull, no, even, even these average out, you know, he, he, he missed three games in 2020, but if you average out his seasons, what you get, and, and even if you go season by season, it's like the back of a baseball card. He's basically going to get you about six sacks, somewhere around 50 to 60 tackles. And he's going to get you about six to nine tackles for loss. I mean, that is, and it's so consistent. He's, yeah. he's been a consistent player. He's just, he's, this is his year 27. He's, he's 27 going into this year, which means he's got, he should actually be about in the prime of his, of, 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 of his uh, athletic body. So this is somebody who I have no doubt, unless he gets injured is going to yet again, put up, you know, six to eight ta- uh, sacks and, you know, 50 ish tackles. And, and, you know, those are numbers that you might try to get out of an edge rusher. Uh, and yet we can throw them in there in, in the interior. So uh, yeah, love Kenny Clark this year. And as always uh, playing on a team that, who has a high expected 
um, you know, win total. He's might just get a few more opportunities. And basically I think he's had a little bit of bad luck. If he gets good luck this year, he'll be the guy that you'll be upset. You didn't draft that everybody else is, is rocking uh, while you're watching games, crying in your Chris Wormley Jersey. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Stay away from Chris Wormley people. That is a trap. A hundred percent. All right. Next on the list. Who do you got? So uh, we go to Philly here and go to Javon Hargrave. I think the dress, you know, this is, wow, this, uh, this was unintentionally, I think, going to end up being the thread of this podcast, which is people being enamored by names and enamored by youth. So the, the, uh, the Eagles drafted Jordan Davis, monster player. I've, you know, I'm from Atlanta. I've heard so much about Jordan Davis being down here um, uh, when he was a, when he was a Georgia Bulldog, uh, love him as a player. Uh, and I think that caused this slide for Javon Hargrave. Uh, they both play defensive tackle. And obviously the other defensive tackle there is a future Hall of Famer in Fletcher Cox. So you, it might appear that it's going to be Hargrave who's going to be the odd man out. Uh, but if you consider that Jordan Davis is basically um, a really good run stuffer and that's it. I mean, he was a two down player for Georgia for, for all that matter. I'll, I'll be a, a damn good one, a damn good uh, two down player. Here's a rookie coming in. Um, and one who what I cannot imagine is are going to play, uh, you know, a, a three down role here. Uh, I think it's going to be the 32 year old Fletcher Cox, whose le- legs they're going to be saving by bringing in Davis. And I think Hargrave will get more snaps than people think. Now, Cox is still playing well. He was an elite player a couple of years ago, but uh, every year, the last couple of years, we've started to see him slow down, which is natural. And he's still playing well. But you you have to imagine that Cox will get more time off this year uh, now that they finally have somebody there who they, who they can plug in, at least in base packages. Hargrave posted 60 tackles, at least 60 tackles for the second time in three years. And he's hit six and a half sacks or more twice in the last four years. Last year, he had a great pass rush season. At least I thought from 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 watching him, I thought he excelled as as a pass rusher. And I think that's going to serve him well if Davis does supplant him some on some base downs. I think I think in nickel situations and beyond, we're going to see Davis on the sidelines. So I don't think it's going to be a common scenario that that Hargrave is off the field. And I think that the consistency of that 60 tackle you know, uh, six to eight sacks. That's uh, that's getting overlooked in a lot of drafts. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm with you. I, I'm pretty much completely avoiding Jordan Davis this year uh, in drafts, just based on where he's going and what I think his role is going to be. Like you said, you touched on it as a kind of run stuffing nose tackle for the most part. And and Hargrave, I mean, he another guy that was among like the elite pass rushers last year in terms of like our our advanced pass rush metrics. 91.5 pass rush grade, 21% win rate, 14.29% pressure rate, all elite numbers for the defensive interior position, led to seven and a half sacks. And I, I think, you know, part of the problem why he kind of falls down boards too is the people that had him last year were frustrated with him after the first six games of the, or the first five games of the year, right? He started right. off super hot. He had six sacks through the first five games and people were hyped as hell, but then just one and a half sacks the rest of the year. So people cooled on him. But for those that were actually paying attention to him, um, you know, through 
outside of like two poor games for the rest of the year, his underlying pass rush numbers, they didn't really change much at all from the first five games. Um, he just didn't get the sack luck that he did early on, right? And I think that's something that um, IDP gamers and analysts significantly overvalue, in my opinion, just looking at those sack totals instead of understanding the context behind, you know, the why. And I, I think it's a major misstep as far as evaluating pass rushers because, Hargrave is is clearly he looked like one of the best um, interior pass rushers uh, in the league last year. He he's an easy top ten uh, defensive tackle for me this year in those DT required leagues. And um, yeah, I was just looking at like I I wanted to split up what his grades and win rate and pressure rate were from the first five weeks of the season and then the rest of the season. The change is essentially nothing i mean the pass rush grade goes from 91.8 in the first five weeks to just 89.7 that that's a very minimal drop off that's almost negligible the win rate goes from 22.9 to 20.3 so stays still elite um and the pressure rate 14.8 to 14.1 there's there was almost no difference in, in how he was playing the only difference that idp managers will look at is that he didn't get those sacks which again we kind of have to move past that you know the 2021 season is over now um there, there's there's a whole other bunch of numbers that are more stable uh, year to year to to kind of focus on, and those are a, a lot of positive signs for Javon Hargrave. So, uh, uh, John, I believe I learned this recently about you that that you are also uh, uh, an avid poker player. Is that correct? Yeah, I like to play poker. I uh, actually. Um, there was a summer a few years back where that's all I like. That's what I did as my job um, was just drive down to uh, uh, Fallsview Casino in Niagara Falls and uh, and just play poker. I'd only play like once a week. I once I got up to to six hundred bucks, I I would cash out and then that would be I'd be done for the week. And uh, that 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 uh, yeah that that helped me as a, as a teenager for or well early 20s i guess i should say um for 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 an entire summer so that was nice yeah and, and to me i've i have relied on my uh poker experience uh quite a bit in fantasy in general but let's talk about and i think there's no greater um opportunity to understand how um how percentages work uh, than than when it comes to sack production, right? So, um, what you know, we, you can you can see someone like Joey Bosa, he'll have zero sacks, zero sacks, five sacks, zero <laughs> sacks, three sacks, right? And and it's not like all of a sudden Joey Bosa. Okay, well he sucks, he sucks, he's going into the Hall of Fame. Now he sucks again. Now he sucks again, right? It just doesn't work that way. It's like you can have a great starting hand and you will lose. And you will you will lose with pocket aces yeah. four times in a row. If you play poker long enough, you're going to lose four times in a row. And you wouldn't for a second think, "Oh, this is a terrible hand." Uh, right? right? You would you wouldn't you wouldn't muck it immediately, right? It's the same thing we have I think more than any more maybe more so than any other statistic the peripherals around sack production are so important to stay focused on because sacks come in bunches and it's just because there's there's a certain amount of of uh, of variance and i think you have to learn to uh love that variance which is why i like tackle floor so much mm -hmm. so if you have a decent tackle floor then for those four games where aaron donald doesn't get a single sack 
you don't go crazy. You know yeah. it's coming, and you know the next game is going to get four sacks and probably uh, a strip sack in there, return it for a touchdown, and then you just dropped him because he lost, you know, three three weeks of, of zero sacks. So I'm not calling Javon Hargrave um, uh, Aaron Donald, but I, I think what you just said perfectly illustrates what you have to pay attention to so that you don't jettison a very good player who's going to come in big for you soon uh, just because of a, of a bad streak. And that bad streak can can last a while. You kind of have to ride it out if you think that the peripherals surrounding that production are still where they belong. Absolutely. Yeah. It's always about, you know, projecting forward, right? When, you know, we look back at, uh, you know, week two, this player had, uh, you know, two and a half sacks. Why did that happen? So week three, you don't necessarily want to start him, you know, if those, like you said, those peripheral, the underlying numbers aren't there, or if the opportunity isn't there, you know, he could have done that on, you know, a handful of snaps and not necessarily look good doing it. It could have been cleanup sacks. There's a whole bunch of stuff to take into account. And yeah, you, you, I mean, you nailed the analogy there. That was very well said. So I, I'm going with it. I like Javon Hargrave as pocket aces. Um, he is, <laughs> he is uh, one of the elite defensive tackle options for sure. All right, let's go one more defensive tackle here. I got uh, Dexter Lawrence of the New York Giants. I think Dex qualifies as, as another one where people aren't giving his pass rush ability enough credit just because he's never really, he's never actually boasted more than four sacks in a season so far uh, in his young career, I, I will say. So um, he had two and a half last year. People are going to look at that and be like, ew, gross. But, you know, he deserves a lot more credit than I think what the box score is giving him. Four and a half expected sacks um, is what is what I had the model push out for him. Um, pass rush grade was 74, pressure rate 10.5. Um, both were above average for the position and his win rate 13.4 was top 20 for the position. So he's not really seen as this pass rushing threat, but I, I think he can um, provide that upside, uh, you know, week to week and, and could potentially even get better there. Uh, he's just also been super reliable as far as availability goes. He's already played over 2000 snaps in his three-year career, which is pretty impressive for a defensive interior player um, and has one of the better tackle floors as well. Like you, like you've been saying, so staying on the field for all three downs, being a strong run defender, he had a 70.9 uh, run defense grade for his career. I think all those things kind of help him um, be like a decent DT two, um, a startable defensive tackle in, in those DT required leagues. And he's someone I've seen also go undrafted. So, uh, you know, we might be talking about a player who could finish at the top 10. But in this case, you know, we're not necessarily saying that Dexter Lawrence is going to be a top five defensive tackle. What 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 we're saying here is, you you know, um, you you when you get to that point in the draft, when you're like, OK, all the superstars are gone and I still need a I need a second defensive tackle and I need bench help uh, you know i need to put somebody on the bench people like dexter lawrence are sitting out there and you just you just it's so i love what i love that you highlighted his consistency and his availability uh just getting that that solid tackle floor and that sack upside that you know late in a draft is uh is 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 gold yeah yeah absolutely so we'll take a quick ad break here and then we will be back with linebackers and dbs all right we are back uh we are going to start kicking off some values from the linebacker position justin who do you have as your first linebacker value um 
Mine is going to be Anthony Walker uh, out, out of Cleveland. I'm really excited to watch Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa this season, uh, but I've seen a lot of drafts where JOK goes well ahead of Walker. And to me, again, this is part of our thread tonight, uh, that's a sign of fantasy managers desperately wanting to get credit for finding the next guy, right? That, that's the thing. It's why rookies get overdrafted. It's why people pound the table for that backup running back. Like, oh, if they would have just stuck that guy in the game, you know, <laughs> he once had a great preseason, you know, as if the coaches don't see these <laughs> players every day and know exactly what they're capable of. Yeah. Right. So uh, I think JOK actually is going to have a really good season. I do. And I think he's probably going to have a really good career, but I still think this is Anthony Walker's defense. Uh, he's been an above average player throughout most of his career. I know 2020 was, wasn't his, his best year for sure, but last year he was really good. It was, and, and he was really good in coverage. He was above average. I believe in coverage. He seemed to handle that part of the, uh, the, the position well. And that's the sort of thing that keeps you on the field as a linebacker. And I think his veteran presence on that defense, as well as being able to stay stick on third downs, is going to make him more of their, what I call primary linebacker. I, I started to use the phrase primary linebacker and secondary linebacker to kind of sift through the noise. You know, the, the primary linebacker is the every down guy who's going to be there on dime and dime plus that secondary linebacker still can be useful, but the, and they're going to be there in nickel. Uh, but, but once it becomes single LB, uh, who is that last man standing? So not worrying about whether it's Mike or will or, Jim Bob, they can call them whatever they want. <laughs> we care about number of snaps and, and personnel packages. And I think it's actually going to be Walker, not JOK, who's going to stick on the field. So because of that, I think uh, he's going to be the guy who I, my guess is he's going to outproduce JOK. Even if he's about the same, he's getting drafted way later than JOK. So in my opinion, I want someone else to take JOK. And then three rounds later, I'll pick up Walker. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And I, I think I think you're right. Even if, you know, even if JOK ends up being like that primary linebacker, like you said, right, um, there's plenty of opportunity for Walker to come close to that production. Um, because, you know, even though the Browns, they ran more dime last season than than the year before, it still wasn't like a ton. It was a below average rate. I think it was something like 12% of their snaps. So it's like a hundred and that's like 130 defensive snaps. It, it's not much on the season, right? So um, I don't think anyone should be concerned about Walker from from that standpoint. Uh, if if you see him as even the secondary linebacker, so the 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 first guy, even if it's whether who, no matter who it is, um, the value of of snaps is, is going to be close enough that you know getting JOK super high in drafts and and then Walker, you know, seven eight nine, 10 rounds later, whatever it is, um, it is, is a massive value. So I, I, I'm totally with you there. Um, again, this, you know, this isn't, it's, we're not talking about dynasty drafts, obviously we're just talking about the 2022 season. And then that's kind of been the trend with these guys is like you said, uh, people wanting to, to hit on those, those young, exciting rookies because they want to be in on the, on the ground floor. Right. But it's not going to, it's not going to work for every player. And there's definitely value, um, in somebody like an Anthony Walker for sure. Uh, next guy on the list here. So I went with um, linebacker Rashawn Evans for the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, the the way I'm kind of looking at this Falcons linebacker group is there's certainly some value in the the ambiguity of the situation where um, you know you ha- you do have to be able to hit on the right guy in those crowded depth charts. And I think 
Evans is probably the safest bet among all the Falcons linebackers to play a ton this season, especially with some of the uncertainty surrounding Deion Jones' future there. Although it does sound like they're they're probably going to keep him. Um, the, it's probably created a ton of value for for Deion Jones as well um, if he does end up starting. But I'm fine with taking swings on you know a Troy Anderson or Michael Walker a bit later in drafts. But in my eyes, there's more question marks about their roles than I think there is uh, for Rashawn Evans at this point. And we'll see what you know training camp reports say and things like that but Evans at least has that familiarity with with Dean Pease's defense and he has the NFL experience as a starter for multiple seasons that should make him probably the clear favorite to start uh, in 2022 and then you consider how linebacker friendly that that Falcons defense is being you know, one of the being the most covered two heavy team in the league last season, which provides a decent sized boost for linebacker tackling efficiency, as well as just Atlanta's history of leaving their two linebackers on the field in full time roles. I think there's a lot to like about the situation, maybe more than the player itself himself, but we don't have to you know, concern ourselves too much with the name on the back of the jersey for IDP, especially, um, you know, if they're going to get the volume. And I, I think Evans has let us down before just being a former first rounder and what expectations were of him. But, um, you know, you get an opportunity to draft a full-time linebacker and a linebacker-friendly scheme much later in drafts. I think that's a must in terms of, of value. Roshan Evans was one of the other ones I was mad about you, you, you taking. <laughs> I, I, I agree. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, so I live in Atlanta, so I, I'm hearing all of the disgruntled Deion Jones stuff and, right. and, and all of that. Um, uh, you know, the last couple of years, it's been Foye Aluakon who, who have, has it, you know, what he, sometimes he's outproduced Jones. Other times he's at least hung in there, kind of like what we we're just talking about with Walker and JOK, you know, it, there doesn't have to only be one. Uh, so, you know, you don't want to just completely lose that, uh, th- that value. I, I think Evans is, is a, is a really good fit here. Um, and, you know, if you think about, uh, you know, Dean Pease here, like, uh, you know, he ran a lot of, uh, you know, his linebacker core in, um, in, in, in Baltimore, he moved those guys around a lot. Um, but, you know, he now has, a, he has different personnel. He doesn't have, I think, I think he had like eight, great defensive backs in Baltimore and no reliable linebackers. That is not the case in Atlanta. He's, he's got a couple of really good linebackers and he has some solid defensive backs, but he certainly doesn't have the embarrassment of riches that he did in Baltimore. So I think it's fool's gold to assume that there's only going to be one linebacker here to get production. And even if there is one, I'm with you. I think that person's going to be Evans. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing, right? I think, you know, like you said, you're, you're closer to the, the, you know, the Atlanta news over there than, than I am, that's for sure. But, um, you know, even if Deion Jones comes back there, they play a pretty heavy two linebacker looks on the, the large majority of their snaps. So there's room there for Evans to be, <coughs> to be number two. And um, at the, I mean, at the best case scenario, he's, he's number one there. And last time that he did play for uh, Dean Pease uh, was the the only time he's hit triple digit tackles in his career as well with uh, with Tennessee. So there, you know, there's there's some reason to be optimistic and bet on Rashawn Evans, especially at the price. I think is the main thing. All right, let's go on to uh, another one of your linebackers here. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Drew Tranquil. Now we're really starting to kind of. Uh... Uh, you know, uh, bottom feed here, if you will. But to me, that's really where you could make uh, the, the the biggest jumps in your drafts, right? You're trying to decide between 
you know, Chris Jones or Jeffrey Simmons probably isn't going to make or break your, your fantasy season. It's going to be that linebacker that no one saw coming uh, who ended up being a 120 tackle guy uh, that, 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 that may make a huge difference. Now I don't necessarily think uh, Drew Tranquil is going to be 130, 150 tackles, but someone has to tackle the opponent on this <laughs> linebacker core. I mean, this thing is a mess right now, but so, uh, and, I'm not even saying Tranquil will be an every down player for them. Uh, you know, uh, this is this is a defense that doesn't have to have a, a three down linebacker. But he I think he is in the driver's seat to be a 60 to 70 percent player for them. And that means so he could hit that hundred uh, uh, tackle number for you. Um, so that's like LB three, maybe LB four. And I've seen him go undrafted in, in leagues where you start four linebackers. And that's kind of insane to me. Uh, he's another guy who, um, uh, he actually held up pretty well in coverage last year. Uh, you know, and that, that, that's kind of the red flag. If a linebacker can't cover in the NFL, uh, you know, their career is probably going to be short. Um, so, and so now Kaiser White's gone and, they really don't have a whole lot of other options. Either Kenneth Murray needs to turn it around real quick or Kyle Van Noy needs to find a time machine to go back to 2019. <laughs> and I, I gotta be honest with you. I don't know which of those is, is more possible to be honest. Uh, but if I were a betting man, and as you know, I actually am, yeah. I think it's going to be tranquil who leads this team in snaps. I, I don't like any of these linebackers in my top 25, uh, but I'll certainly take, take, Tranquil with one of my last few picks because I'm not going to be surprised he doesn't end up being an LB3 for me. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I, I don't think uh, things are looking good for Kenneth Murray. I mean, yeah, like you said, the other options like Troy Reader, even Nick Neiman. <laughs> it, it's it's not a pretty group there. And, and you know, you mentioned um, uh, on the previous linebacker, like the having more defensive backs, you know, could cut down linebacker usage. I, the Chargers feel like one of those teams that we're going to see a significant bump in, in dime personnel just based on what they've done this offseason and that being something that Brandon Staley leaned on uh, in his time with the Rams too. So he didn't get to do it too much last year, but you know they drafted JC, JT Woods, they brought in JC Jackson, Bryce Callahan. They essentially did nothing at linebacker, right? So I, I mean, I'm pretty convinced Derwin James is going to be their second linebacker for right. the most part. Yes, and and then Tranquil, yeah, should be the other one, like you <laughs> said, um, to, to play that um, primary role. So I, I'm, I'm completely with you. There's Tranquil is going super, super late or undrafted in, in times when I've seen him as well. Uh, worth a shot late. All right, let's go one more linebacker here. So somebody that we've kind of touched on already earlier in the podcast, and that is Nick Vigil of the Arizona Cardinals. So again, this is, uh, it's a, it's a weird player to take a shot on in drafts. You know, he's more of a waiver wire type guy. Um, but if the Cardinals are really going to get cute with Isaiah Simmons usage, then we probably have to react as IDP managers, right? If that means uh, taking a cheap flyer on Nick Vigil, who should play exclusively as an orthodox linebacker, because I don't think he's that very good at anything else, uh, along with Zavin Collins, uh, who, again, is another one that we've already seen some red flags pop up. I think there's a chance, obviously, to put up decent tackle numbers there while Isaiah Simmons is kind of playing all around the field or doing whatever it is that they want him to do. 
if it turns out that the cards were just trying to develop Simmons and camp and, and the Zayvon Collins stuff turns out to be noise, um, you know, that we just put them back into starting linebacker roles. We can drop vigil and move on happily because it costs nothing more than a, like a super deep roster spot. Right. He, he played, but 700 defensive snaps last season. So he had a pretty decent shot. He was kind of underwhelming from a, from a production standpoint. Um, I had him at a negative 18.2 tackles uh, versus expected. So I, I don't think that's probably going to change all that much in, in 2022. If he is a starter, I think tempering like weekly expectations for him again, he's not going to be, you know, this Darius Leonard or anything like that. But again, nobody is drafting him very high or at all anyways. So you may as well take a shot on somebody that could be in for for a near every down role in an orthodox linebacker position that is um you know just a warm body and, and free money for for idp leagues yeah i think one of the things that you you've seen here from from john and i particularly the our last couple of linebackers is not that we're expecting these to be world beaters but um when you get toward the end of your draft and you're you know there are so few uh, three down linebackers anymore. They're no longer a dime a dozen. So you will get to that point in your draft where you're like, um, oh my God, this is t- like, none of these guys are even starters or, you know, uh, and, and so once you get to that point, I'm, I want the guy who with just a few, if I can see a path that, it, that if a and B happens, this guy's on the field for 80% of the snaps, that's the guy I want to take. I love what you said earlier. Like if it doesn't work out, just he'll be the person you drop when the waiver wire comes. And, 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 you know, by week three or four, when you realize that this guy's not going to do anything, but I don't want to waste that draft pick on somebody whose ceiling is 60 to 80 tackles. I want somebody who could be this year's Jordan Hicks and vigil is literally this year's Jordan Hicks. <laughs> He's playing that exact same role. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. Um, all right, let's move on to the safety position. Who do you have at uh, safety? I'm going to go with Tracy Walker. Um, this is, this is kind of like a DeMarcus Lawrence ish pick in that, you know, he is somebody that is getting drafted, but I think he's getting drafted a tier or two later than he should be. Now, um, those of us who have played IDP over the last three or four years, know the pain of Tracy Walker. He had a, he had a dominant year, uh, playing free safety for the, for the lions. And then he had, you know, a couple of seasons where he was getting benched and it, you know, would maybe play 30% of the snaps and he, and it was incredibly frustrating. And we saw a little bit of this last year too. Here are the differences for me. First of all, when Tracy Walker plays, he is productive. That has pretty much been the case for him his entire career. Uh, he'll play the post safety position and still be uh, quite um, uh, quite productive. Don't fall into that trap of assuming that because somebody plays deep that they that they have no chance of fantasy production and vice versa. Um, some defenses are built for that for that deep safety to to be the one to come up and do the most damage. And we've seen Walker excel at that. So two things that are, are important to know: one, he just signed a three a new three year deal to stay with the Lions. If he was in their doghouse, they would not sign him to a three-year deal. No way, no how in, in this age of multiple defensive backs. So, so that right there tells me that they plan on using him. And although he did have low snap counts early in the season, uh, about halfway through the season, that went away. and He became an every-down player for them. He ended up finishing 12th uh, in, in, in fantasy points uh, and, you know, 
right now he's ranked in the like mid twenties behind guys like Jesse Bates and Kyle Duggar. And for me, I would rather have Walker than either of those two. I love Jesse Bates. I think he's gotten lucky. Uh, and I, uh, I don't think, um, you know, for, for, for my money, I'd rather somebody else take Jesse Bates as their DB one and let me take Walker as a DB two or a DB three. Uh, remember there's no more Matt Patricia here. I don't think we're going to see these random benchings. At least I hope I don't. Uh, but, um, but, but I, man, I'm, I'm ecstatic if I can get Walker as a DB two. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think the Matt Patricia thing is, is the biggest key, right? He, he was the one that was kind of tinkering with the snaps a ton with, with Walker. And yeah, like you said, when he's been on the field, the guy's been super, super productive, even though he usually plays like a deeper role. He's, he's never posted below uh 10% tackle efficiency, which is really, really impressive for a guy that plays deep, but just for safety alone, um, that's an above average tackle efficiency. So he's one of those guys, I think, um, like you said, that, that, can produce from that that deep spot you know even somebody like minka fitzpatrick who's going ahead of him who plays as much deep as as tracy walker does i'd probably rather have tracy walker than minka fitzpatrick especially at cost um you know minka had the massive year last year but look at the rest of his career and you could see that that is lining up to be a pretty clear outlier in comparison so so what uh to what he might do uh, going forward and, and what he's done in the past. And, you know, even guys like, um, you know, Javon Holland, like you said, uh, Jesse Bates, uh, Antoine Winfield, there, there's these deep safety guys that, um, that do actually have lower tackle efficiency and the majority of their production comes just from being on the field a ton. Right. So the difference being that separates Tracy Walker from the, from the bunch, I think is that he can be productive um, from that role and, 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 if that means, you know, taking him as, as a DB2, even though he's he's not being drafted in the in that spot at all. He, he's going much later usually. Um I, I'm I'm very happy with Tracy Walker. I, I'm I'm with you hundred percent. All right, let's go with uh let's go with J. Ron Curse. So not a sexy name, uh, J. Ron Curse of the Dallas Cowboys, but that's what you know these guys end up being values for, right? They, you know, Curse put up 101 tackles last season, um, which should make IDP gamers pretty happy. And I, I think he's in the ideal spot to repeat a similar performance in, in 2022. Uh, Dallas re-signed him. Otherwise, I'm not sure if he would even be a starter anywhere else. And if he was, the that ideal usage that he experienced last season would likely not repeat. Um, he played 41% of his snaps in the box, another 16.5% along the defensive line, and then about 20% in the slot. So over 75% of his snaps came up closer to the line of scrimmage, which we obviously love to see as that raises his chances to make a tackle. Uh, the Cowboys led the NFL in cover one coverage rate and were fourth in the league uh, in all single high coverage looks altogether. So Dan Quinn obviously staying on there as defensive co- coordinator means that we should see a similar role again for J. Ron Curse uh, in Dallas and puts him in a great spot to pr- produce as consistent uh, starting um, weekly production as as we would we would like from our safeties um yeah i mean he he's a guy that i'm pretty sure he would be worth a safety one spot uh once once all is said and done but another guy that's that's falling down boards because he doesn't have the name value of you know the derwin james jeremy chin jamal adams things like that um like you even said J- jesse bates justin simmons i think i'd much rather have uh, a j ron curse 
Well, this will be the first time I'm going to disagree with you on this podcast, John. Fair. But uh, but but I, I think J. Ron Curse is a very sexy name. Uh, I, oh, okay. I, <laughs> I I I think the fact that he plays, you know, so one of the things that we've seen happen defensively uh, over the last couple of years is people have been trying to kind of slow down these you know uh, spread offenses. Is we've seen a lot more uh, cover too, and I believe this year will be even more of that. We see more of these. Vic Fangio disciples getting getting jobs um and I and once we go to a lot of too high we start to get really inconsistent production out of our safeties again Mm -hmm. so that we had this glory these glory days of of this cover one cover three system uh, out of Seattle that gave us these that just put these safeties you know, in the box more often than and, and we're on a on a reliable or consistent basis. Um, and those days are going the way of the dinosaur. And Dan mm-hmm. Quinn, uh, you know, ha- Dan Quinn had a really good year last year. He obviously tinkered with that Seattle tree defense enough and and got a lot of, you know, he made a pretty big jump as a defensive coordinator with that Dallas unit. And I think Curse is is the clear guy there who will lead those those that safety group in, in, in Dallas. And I think that's becoming a more and more valuable commodity. So I'm mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm all in on Curse, man. I I I I'm with you. I think he if he ends up in the top 15, I will not be surprised. No, no, not at all. I think, yeah, there's a, there's a really good chance. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you. There's, there is an increase in that uh, split safety looks and things like that. And, you know, when you get the opportunity to take a shot on somebody like J Ron curse, who is going to play a high majority of his snaps down close to the line of scrimmage, you almost have to take it and, and not let him fall that far, which is, Uh, Probably very similar to uh, the guy on your list coming up next. Yeah. So my guy is going to be Xavier McKinney. Um, One of the things we, we talked about this a little earlier in the podcast, it does look like McKinney might be wearing the green dot. uh, And uh, even if he doesn't wear the green dot, that's really a strong signal that he's going to maintain that every down roll. And, uh, that leads me to my next point, which is that, you know, Jabril Peppers and Logan Ryan are gone now. So, excuse me, that defensive backfield, which was, you know, really kind of, it was frustrating to decipher, particularly at the beginning of the season last year. Um, it's pretty much been stripped down. Uh, and I think, although I do think we're probably going to see more two safety sets here, I don't think we're going to see McKinney playing the the deep post position as much. I think he was he was there a lot while while the others, particularly Logan Ryan, you know, uh, played up. I think this year we're going to see him get more snaps, uh, a more balanced, a more even even snap count. Uh, in terms of box or, or or deep safety, and he put up 93 tackles from. He put up 93 tackles on that defense, being the last of three safeties uh, as a line of defense. It's now just basically him and Julian Love. I think they're going to be split a little bit more, and uh, I think I think he's going to cross that triple-digit tackle mark uh, now in his third season, and I think he's going to be a top 15, top 20 guy. Nice. Yeah, that was that was actually a terrible transition by me um, because I thought <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about Nick Cross, um, but <laughs> even still, um, I think yeah, I like what you said there about Xavier McKinney, um, and yeah, if that if that ends up happening, um, like you said with uh, with McKinney being 
changing his role from last season because he was he was like 70 between 70 and 80 percent of his snaps were, were played deep and and luckily you know he stayed healthy so he was able to produce a, a decent amount but being the guy to rotate down in uh don don martindale's system and and maybe play the chuck clark role as opposed to the um that deep like deshaun elliott role that we we saw last year i think would be a big boost for his um idp value and yeah, they, they they might run some more some more dime as well. They don't really have the personnel to do it, unfortunately. Um, with Dane Belton uh, breaking his collarbone this week uh, in camp, and then uh, I think the only other option is like Andrew Adams. So something to something to monitor there. But it would be nice to see yeah McKinney get a little bit more involved and not just stick in that that deep role for sure. Uh, I, I forgot that I had I had changed uh, <laughs> to, to McKinney, and so I just want to briefly talk about Nick Cross. I loved I loved Nick Cross this year. Uh, it's just that all is is that when I went to go look at how much of a value he was, yeah, I, I was surprised to see that um, again. This could you know this is the this is the rookie um, uh, the rookie thing, but man, did Nick Cross land in in the perfect IDP role or what? I mean. Kari Willis retires suddenly and Nick Cross is just sitting there with that this position that you were you were and I were just talking about this position of, of playing uh, a heavy box role as a safety yeah yeah it's it's really nice and yeah there's there's still a little bit of value there with Nick Cross but I think people are starting to catch on now especially as there's a little bit of camp hype around him too so um but yeah that I mean playing the the strong safety role in Gus Bradley's system has been uh, pretty productive for IDP. Look at guys like Cam Chancellor and, and Derwin James, Jonathan Abram last season. So uh, we're, we're, we're excited about Nick Cross nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. One more safety here. I went with, I went with Jordan Whitehead uh, of the New York Jets. So, you know, he's a guy coming off a pretty solid year in terms of IDP, uh, but now is joining a brand new team, a, a new defensive system where he could be in for, I think anyways, his most productive year yet. So much of, whitehead's production over the years has has been a result of you know just being healthy and producing around the line of scrimmage he actually leads all safety since 2019 in tackles at or behind the line of scrimmage with 31 um, which i thought was interesting and and he did that in a bucks defense that deployed the fifth lowest rate of single high coverages in 2021 and now goes to the jets where they were they were top 10 in the nfl in single high rates last season so i think he'll be pretty clear uh choice to be the guy to rotate down towards the line of scrimmage um it was you know he had a very efficient year last year as a tackler but still produced uh well within his expected tackle outcome so um didn't over or under produce what you like to see and yeah, like like I said, he's consistently put up around seventy tackles every year uh, that he's been in the league. And considering his knack for for making those tackles around the line of scrimmage, he should be able to exceed those marks uh, if healthy. As more opportunities to play that shallow safety role emerge in New York, I think I have him as my safety thirteen right now this season. He's often, very often, going outside the top twenty. Right. Let's go with uh, let's we got a few cornerbacks here um, to talk about. So we, we don't have to spend a ton of time on corners, but um, why don't you hit us with uh, with your first cornerback that you like as a value? Uh, well, I'm going to I'm going to do a, a rookie cornerback, uh, uh, Kyer Elam. Now, uh, 
normally I, I think the rookie corner rule thing gets 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 overblown quite a bit in idp um i did uh some research on this trying to figure out you know what is that because it definitely does hit we definitely have rookie corners that produce massively for idp but it's not just that they're rookies so like what is the magic formula and so what i figured out is a if you've been drafted in the top 40 and B, you run into a, a position where you are an every down player and C, preferably across from somebody who uh, is, is a fairly respected uh, cornerback that's just going to put you in a position to see a ton of snaps and be the person who likely gets thrown at more often than not. And I think if you're a high high draft pick, you usually come with a set of, of, of skills that will allow you to be more aggressive on the ball, create more passes, defense, and possibly some more interceptions. And I think Elam is that player this year. He's a top 40 pick. I think he's got a, he's got a full-time starting gig staring him in the face, uh, and that's across from – uh, from Tredavious White. So, uh, you know, they've got a, 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 the the Bills have an expected win total of about 11 to 12 games. So, um, you know, this doesn't uh, perfectly correlate, but uh, it does happen often enough where, you know, if these teams that are up big uh, often you know, will see a lot more, their defense will see a lot more passes thrown their way later in games. So let's assume that that holds true. He's got a lot of opportunity coming his way. Uh, also remember that Buffalo Stadium crew has uh, uh, generally, historically been notorious for being generous with solo tackles. Now, cornerbacks mm-hmm. in general get solo tackles because they're usually, you know, only covering one person. But when Elam is involved in the run game, I would not be surprised if that doesn't help his solo tackles uh, in, in situations like that, where he's one of the guys to kind of come out of the scrum tackling somebody. Last year in this same setup, it was the slot corner, Teron Johnson, who we saw have a ginormous fantasy season, um, basically because nobody else wanted, you know, no other team wanted to throw at anybody else. Even their linebackers like Matt Milano is, is a fairly good uh, uh, coverage linebacker. I think this year it's not going to be Johnson. I think, I, I think it's going to be Elam. Nice. Yeah. I think he's, he's a really nice fit for that, that defense as well. Right. Really physical kind of press coverage corner. Um, he, he had a good, like, um, forced incompletion percentage when he lined up in press as well. It's like 20%, 21%, something like that, which is nice for, uh, for IDP in leagues that score pass pass breakups. Um, uh, what else? And, and the bills were one of the more, um, press heavy teams last year. There were seventh, I think in the NFL, uh, as far as amount of press coverage rate. And yeah, I I'm with you. I think opposite of, of Tredavious white, I I'd imagine that he does see plenty of targets, uh, in that defense and it should result in some, some decent IDP performances for sure. Um, all right. One of the, the corners I put in here. So I, I went with Dante Jackson of the, the Carolina Panthers. Everyone wants, you know, Trayvon Diggs or, or Kenny Moore, but it's it's kind of crazy to spend high picks in, in drafts on corners, especially on the back of something like interceptions with Diggs. You're just kind of setting yourself up for, di- for disappointment. What What I think you really want is to wait until the very last rounds, find yourself a full-time corner who doesn't underproduces a tackler and can actually make plays on the ball to add a little bit extra to their point total. So I, I look at Dante Jackson, I see he had a 14% 
uh, forced and completion percentage last season, which is something that is a little bit more stable for corners year to year, um, as well as a tackle efficiency close to 9%, which is above average for the position. So at, at the very least, uh, you know, hopefully he means he won't disappoint there more, more often than not. And he's also an expected every down starter. That's obviously the most important thing um, is volume for corners. So he'll be on the field a ton. And if he stays healthy, then uh, he'll have just as good a chance as any to be, to be a reliable IDP. Um, yeah. I mean, people love to look at season finish finishes, especially for DB and Trayvon Diggs is a good example of that, but it, it happens with safeties all the time too. You'll hear like, you know, look, look at Xavier Woods, uh, you know, who's his new teammate in Carolina there. Um, he had over a hundred tackles last season. He must be a tackling machine, but it, it's like, no, well, the guy, you know, he played 1152 defensive snaps last year. He didn't miss a single snap. That's why he put up over a hundred tackles. You know, he was bound to rack up that production. Um, I, I think the lack of context given by, by IDPers is, is still re- remarkable to me. I think there's things to look at when you're talking about, you know, interception rate and, and things like that. Trayvon Diggs tackles for uh, Xavier Woods. I think, you know, looking at somebody like Dante Jackson or um, Kyer Elam or, or some of the other corners that we'll, we'll list here um, are, are is much more helpful going into a new a brand new season um, where where everything starts fresh. Uh, I, I love what you said about the um, about like just the volatility of them. You know, if, if we can continue with our our poker analogy, cornerbacks are your two seven offsuits, kids. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you, you, somebody at the table will hit with one of them, yeah. uh, but it's, but, but to use um, a high draft pick or use any, but your, but your very last draft pick uh, on a cornerback is, is, I mean, uh, the turnover every single year. I mean, maybe you have a couple of guys who, who finish at the top 25 in back-to-back seasons, but, it, but it's rare. And it's just, it, the odds are too, the odds are too low to try and repeat it when you, you could have used that draft pick on a backup running back or a, you know, a, a, a fourth wide receiver or somebody who has a chance to actually, you know, break out for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, one of those other guys for me, uh, is this is another guy you can get at the very back end of your draft. Uh, and that's uh, a cornerback for the Saints, Paulson Adebo. To me, I think he's going to play more snaps this year than he played last year. Um, and, and I think, you know, now, now as he as he rolls along and, and is no longer a rookie, uh, this is the type of player who I think has uh, um, uh, the skill set to become more aggressive. Uh, you know, he, he he did play in all 17 games last year, but, 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 um, uh, you know, and he had he had eight passes defense and three interceptions. Those are little things that, that give me, you know, a sign that he's going to be uh, somebody who will get more aggressive now that he's no longer a rookie. He played 850 snaps last year, which is 76 percent. I think that's going to climb over climb over a thousand this year. So where does that put him? I think that probably puts him in the like low CB2 range. I, I could see him getting to 70, 80 tackles. 13 to 15 passes defense. Uh, I don't like trying to, I mean, I know we have to predict interceptions, but that's, you know, you know, <laughs> impossible to do. So I try not to. Uh, so I, I think Adebo is somebody who um, had a worse season last year than he's going to have this year. And uh, I'm perfectly fine to plug him in uh, as my CB too. Nice. Love that. Um, all right. One more cornerback on the list here. I went with DJ Reed of the New York Jets. So 
just another one for me where, again, we're taking a guy super late who should step into a starting role uh, this season, even with a new team. Uh, he had nearly 12% forcing completion percent last year. He's a decent tackler. Uh, figures to get targeted a ton there in New York. I think I'd much rather take a shot on somebody like DJ Reed than late than, than guys like Trayvon Diggs 10 rounds earlier. Um so yeah, it's it just another name I think to keep in mind. Somebody that can produce and has produced, um, and has decent uh, underlying numbers that could um, uh, carry over to the next season, like that forced incompletion percentage. Something to keep an eye on, and 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 obviously that every down role should be important as well. Um, so yeah, it, I I think the bottom line here is don't overpay for cornerbacks. Um, it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's Kenny Moore. Or, uh, Trayvon Diggs or, or whoever name Marlon Humphrey whatever it is um, there's there's just too many of them um, and so much of their production depends on uh, health and and being on the field so there's a lot of those guys that we could take shot on take shots on and that's why we, we typically stream the position uh, every week and one of the things that helps me uh, and, and maybe this will help you when, when you get to that point and you need to start taking cornerbacks and and you're looking at some of these bigger names or you see some of your opponents taking the Marlon Humphreys and the Trayvon Diggs. Uh, What has helped me in the draft is to immediately start looking around for people who you could be drafting instead of taking an absolute dart throw at a cornerback. And if you, like I said, if you find a, if you find a running back on a team that uses running backs heavily that says, okay, well, if Christian McCaffrey goes down, this is the guy that's the person I want to take there, knowing that I can almost assuredly get the same production from a cornerback off the waiver wire, um, which is almost always where we get our starting quarterbacks, by the way. It, our starting quarterbacks are actually on the waiver wire heading into week three once we finally figure out how these guys are going to get get used. So yeah. um, uh, I'd much rather take a shot at at some high upside uh, um, uh, defensive line or linebackers, or I really like high upside offensive players in this case, running backs and maybe even backup quarterbacks who who could end up be having huge, uh, huge seasons for you. Be, be league winners that you can get in round fourteen instead of going after Trayvon Diggs and expecting that sort of crazy amount of interception rate to to somehow be repeated. Yeah, no, very very well said, and and yeah, it's it's build up your depth at more important positions than, than the cornerback spot basically. And yeah, just leave corners till the end or stream them weekly. It's a, I promise it's a much more valuable practice uh, for, for IDP leagues. So, um, but yeah, Justin, uh, you were electric as, as expected. I, I can't thank you enough for, for your time and coming on here to, to talk IDP with me. Um, I mean, we're so close to the start of the NFL season. So I'm super excited for all the off season uh, debates and, and, and progress prognosticating to, to wrap up so that we can evaluate some actual football on the field. Um, but again, thank you for, for coming on the show. Um, I, it was, it was an absolute pleasure getting to talk to you, John. Thanks so much for having me, man. I can't wait to do this. We got, we got to do it again very soon. For sure. Great to just talk some ball with you and looking forward to the next time. Awesome, man. And, and please remind the, the good people where uh, they could find you and your work. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at down with IDP and uh, you can see uh, my articles and et cetera over at fantasypoints.com where I'm the lead IDP analyst. Awesome.
Very cool. Yeah, Justin, again, um, you have been awesome. I have been uh, John Macri, uh, and I'm at PFF underscore Macri on the tweets, and all my written work can be found on PFF.com, including a write-up of my list of values and sleepers in the next couple days or so for for those that have interest in that. And uh, yeah, on the next episode, we got uh, the Green Dot King himself, Mr. Mike Wollert, joining me to talk three-down linebackers uh, for every NFL team, including who is wearing that green dot. And we might even sneak in some rookie expectations for the 2022 season as well. Don't miss it. And until next time, IDP's out.